This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. The last two weeks of this program, we've been promising you an interview with the authors of Web of Conspiracy, a guide to conspiracy theory sites on the Internet. And happily, in our second segment today, we'll speak with co-author Darren W. Miller. We get a lot of help from our friends on this program, and we're indebted to Franz Kassing, the host of It's About You, which airs every Mondays on KDVS at 8.30 a.m. Franz got the press release for Web of Conspiracy and thought it had our name on it. So, Franz, thanks for that. I want to thank you, dear listener, for uh, continuing in our survey. This will be the last time we ask you, but uh, please, if you haven't done so already, just drop us a note and let us know where you're hearing us from. We are surprised and pleased to find out, uh, for example, that we're being heard in Peterborough in the UK along with Victoria, BC, Canada. Our thanks to Stephen and David for dropping us a line, among others, and uh, we would encourage you to, again, send us a note at info at radioparallax.com and just, uh, you know, give us a little feedback. Prior to this point, the best estimate we've been able to come up with is that we have perhaps a thousand listeners to this program, but uh, it appears we are vastly underestimating our audience by not factoring in people who listen on podcasts. So please do what you can to help us and help the station that airs us by uh, sending us some data. Thank you in advance. And uh, by way of feedback, I'm going to have a few things to say a little bit later in this program about uh, the article that was in the Sacramento Bee this weekend about the facts on earwax. Perhaps not the most hot topic circulating at the moment, but uh, one I feel passionate about particularly since the advice that we've gotten our entire lives from the men in the white coats, those from the American Academy of Otolaryngology, well, it's probably the most idiotic, inane, stupid advice that doctors give patients. This might be a good time to mention that the opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, UC Davis, or the regents of the University of California. And I'll tell you one thing, before I'm done, you're going to find that it sure as hell doesn't represent the views of the American Academy of Otolaryngology, whose opinions seem to have no bearing on common sense or evidence, in, in this man's opinion. But in the almost six years we've been doing this program, I would say that the last week has been one of the most remarkable. And we're going to talk a bit about America's ongoing financial crisis before we're done, uh, wherein it appears that the Bush administration has failed in its effort to stampede Congress into action, much as the Plains Indians used to stampede buffalo over cliffs. But you know, before I get too carried away, let's start the program in our usual fashion with On This Date in History. It was on October 2nd in 479 BC that a total eclipse of the sun encouraged Persian King Xerxes to invade Greece when soothsayers interpreted as a sign of Athens' impending doom. But uh, Xerxes wound up getting his butt kicked. No word on the disposition of the soothsayers. It was on this date in 1608, the Dutch spectacle maker Hans Lippershey offers to sell his new invention to the military. It was the world's first telescope. And on this date, October 2nd, 1967, Chief Justice Earl Warren swore in Thurgood Marshall as the first African-American justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. 
Marshall had previously been the chief counsel for the NAACP and had argued before the court in the historic 1954 Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka. Our quote of the day comes from former President Lyndon Baines Johnson, who once said, Doing what's right isn't the problem. It's knowing what's right. Our quip of the day, and in fact, we have three. These are two good, coming from Uncle John's curiously compelling bathroom reader under the headline, Everyone's a Critic. Commenting on poet Walt Whitman, the London critic once said, He is as unacquainted with art as a hog with mathematics. Oscar Wilde once said about composer Richard Wagner, I like his music better than any other. It's so loud that one can talk the whole time without people hearing what one says. That is a great advantage. And my personal favorite, Dorothy Parker, commenting on an essay by Upton Sinclair, said, As a piece of good taste, it ranks with a statue of the Milo Venus with a clock in her stomach. I think that I should also do as our joke of the day, although we're keen to return to the Radar Magazine's summary of America's worst colleges, but I don't think we're going to have the time today, so we'll defer that one. Our stat of the day, according to the AP, the $700 billion currently being proposed for the Wall Street bailout. Well, if you do the math, that works out to about $175 billion more than all of the expenditures by school districts, state, and the federal government on all forms of public education. And as a bonus stat, speaking of public education, according to USA Today, of the nation's 15 million college students, about 580,000 are foreign nationals, with India, China, and South Korea ranking highest in number of students. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Calignosity, Nittering, Fusby, and Oled, which are among two dozen archaic words that a British dictionary publisher has promised to retain in its next edition if the public can be persuaded to use them more regularly. The words mean, respectively, darkness, cowardly, squat, and foul-smelling. Let's see if we can help. We would say the current administration demonstrates some calignosity. Our media has too often been nittering. And this whole bailout thing, that's pretty olid. Speaking of bad behavior in the Big Apple, it was a bad week last week for New York lawyers. Well, certainly for one named William Halby, anyway. He failed in his effort to deduct from his taxes the $322,000 he spent on prostitutes, pornography, and sex toys. Halby, age 77, told a state tax court judge he had used sex therapy to help battle depression, osteoarthritis, and erectile dysfunction. He argued that the deductions were therefore legitimate medical expenses. In ruling against Halby, uh, Judge Brian Friedman noted that not only is prostitution in New York not recognized as a medical necessity, it's a violation of penal law. Halby says he'll appeal. And it certainly was an ugly week last week for California drivers when it was revealed that Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger has devised a novel, but let's just say controversial, plan to raise some money for the state coffers. 
They're going to sell advertisements on the electronic freeway signs currently used for Amber Alerts and other emergencies. Schwarzenegger says the state could make millions by allowing ads when the signs are not in use for emergencies and kidnap children. Critics point out that the potential revenue may not be worth the costs of tempting drivers to take their eyes off the road for ads. Said Ted Wu of the Coalition to Ban Billboard Blight, If we need to do this to get money, maybe the state should go ahead and open a brothel. Mr. Wu, please don't give our capital politicians any ideas. You know, this may be a good time to hear from our old pal, America's foremost comic, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And I don't know if it's an ancient Chinese or an Arabian curse, but somebody once said, may you live in interesting times. And we sure are knee-deep in the middle of one of those. The good news is Congress has revamped that $700 billion bailout bill and turned it into a $700 billion rescue plan, which is totally different. The bad news is they didn't do anything about it, which is surprised in the same way that discovering that living underwater makes your hair hard to manage. The frustrating thing is we normal citizens have no idea what's going on. Nobody can explain what the bill does. $2,500 for every man, woman, and child in America to help out broke stockbrokers? Just seems, what do you call it, so wrong. Are we helping out Wall Street or Main Street here? Is this a Band-Aid or a full-body containment suit? Is Nancy Pelosi's face capable of any expression at all? We have questions. I mean, for all we know, Henry Paulson's big plan is to go to Vegas. $700 billion on red. And, you know, when everybody in America knows the name of the Secretary of the Treasury, that's not good. Even Vegas casinos reported a 30% downturn in business. I guess people are losing too much discretionary money in other risky ventures like stocks and bonds. I'm pretty sure the term blue chips has something to do with craps. Trying to convince us that his economic team is on the job. George Bush actually said out loud, on purpose, we're working hard on economic turmoil. <laughs> Thanks, George. Mission accomplished. He finally gets one thing right, and it's economic turmoil. What are the odds? For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Good to have Durst on board. Of course, uh, his column appears regularly in the Humor Times, published by our uh, our pal, James Israel. I did enjoy the faux news section of their last uh, edition, which, uh, in a very onion-esque style, had the following headline. Poll. Obama faring poorly among racists. Subheadline. Bigots oppose Barack by thousand-to-one margin. The poll, conducted by Duh Magazine, suggests Mr. Obama faces an uphill battle in his effort to win votes of dyed-in-the-wool bigots. Said Charles Plew, editor-in-chief, We wanted to know why isn't Barack Obama closing the deal among racists. The answer seems to be because he's black. Although we should comment on an ad that appears in the Humor Times this week saying, Hey, are you an independent? A thinking voter? Well, we want to talk to you. It's an ad for the Peace and Freedom Party, noting that, well, maybe you think there's a difference between the GOP and the Democrats. Well, in 2006, you elected a Democratic-controlled Congress, and what have you gotten since then? 
health care for all, a living wage, a non-carbon energy economy, a reverse course in the Middle East, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, if you feel that way, maybe you can go ahead and vote for Ralph Nader and Matt, Matt Gonzalez. But you know, I think it was Voltaire that once pointed out that the best is the enemy of the good. We think you might want to consider about going for the half loaf instead of no loaf. Remember, if Ralph Nader hadn't run pretty well in New Hampshire in 2000, they could have stolen all the votes they wanted in Florida and Al Gore still would have been elected president. Are the Democrats deserving of criticism? Well, absolutely. But would a Gore or Kerry administration have done what uh, the Bushies have done in the past eight years? We think probably not. So please, give this election some thought, won't you? Uh, we did note uh, article in Newsweek a couple weeks back on their Dignity Index, for which you can score a 50 if you're truly undignified and an 100 if you're utterly shameless. Newsweek scored Bush a 51 when, after 72 hours of silence during this giant financial crisis, the president finally emerged to read a two-minute prepared statement. They gave him a 51, noting it was better late than never. Like the caption they gave it, though. You're doing a heck of a job, Bushy. Then there's the comment by Hillary Clinton fundraiser Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, who said she's going to back McCain because Obama, as opposed to, say, a Rothschild, is an elitist who talks down to rednecks. And, you know, if you want to be fair, we have to say George W. Bush never did talk down to rednecks. All right, we've got three remarkable uh, science stories that I, that I just, just have to get into. First, in what's being described as an unprecedented discovery, NASA's Phoenix Mars lander has observed snow falling from the clouds of Mars. A laser instrument collecting data on the atmosphere and how the atmosphere and surface interact detected snow from clouds about four kilometers above the landing site. The data found that the snow did vaporize before it reached the ground. And we'll do some follow-up on that story. Even more remarkable, and I can't believe this was buried in the news uh, with all the rest of the bad economic news. Well, for the first time in history, a, uh, a private organization has managed to put an object into Earth orbit. The Falcon 1, a liquid fuel rocket built by Space Exploration Technologies, or SpaceX, took off from a Pacific island on Sunday and entered orbit carrying a dummy payload. Said Elon Musk, I guess that's his real name, the chief executive of SpaceX, who made a fortune, by the way, as the founder of PayPal, this is a great day for SpaceX and the culmination of an enormous amount of work by a great team. Noting with this key milestone, Falcon 1 becomes the first privately developed liquid fuel rocket to orbit the Earth. Now, actually, if there's been a solid fuel rocket that's orbited the Earth from a private company, uh, I'm unaware of it. The company was founded in 2002, seeking to usher in an era of low-cost space flight and is developing a variety of launch vehicles to deliver satellites into orbit. But also, cargo and crew to the International Space Station, which, uh, which uh, could come into play with our current cooling of relations with Russia. Now we mentioned a couple weeks back the Harlan II Symposium on Biodiversity and Agriculture which took place at UC Davis and uh, somewhat to my astonishment I observed in the current edition of New Scientist magazine that one of the presentations which I observed got a nice write-up. 
So apparently somebody was reporting for new scientists here on campus, and I failed to hook up with them. But the presentation came from Robert Wayne from UCLA, who looked at some genetic markers uh, in domesticated animals, in this case the dog, and compared them to the, to the genes of um, the wolf, the animal from which all modern dog breeds um, developed. Since, dog, uh, since the dog remains quite close to the wolf, and in fact can be still interbred with wolves, they went looking for some genetic markers that may have worked their way back into the wolf uh, gene pool from the domesticated dog. And guess what? Wolves with black pelts owe their distinctive coloration to a mutation that first arose in dogs. Apparently this, this variety of, uh, of uh, pelt coloration is quite common in North American wolves with about half of the reintroduced population in Yellowstone National Park uh, being black. And Dr. Robert Wayne's been somewhat stumped as to why uh, this could, uh, you know, confer some advantage to the wolves. The mutated gene appears to be involved in immune responses, but there's no evidence that, uh, that black dogs have a stronger immunity. And camouflage doesn't seem to be a significant factor either. Being black might give you some advantage in the dark of night, but, uh, you know, it spends half of its time in the daylight. So uh, the researchers speculate the mutation may be favored simply because female gray wolves find black coats attractive. And in fact, the family pedigrees of the Yellowstone wolves reveal that gray females do indeed mate more frequently with black males. And at that line, I would just say, fill in your own wisecrack here, because we ain't going to touch that one. You know, we're going to have to put our discussion of, uh, of the bailout off to segment three, but, but before we end this segment, I want to thank the caller during last week's program who called to ask, is this show pre-recorded? And as you might well imagine, many of our segments are, and the one in question was the comment I'd made about betting against GM getting its bailout, and I thought that was a bad idea. Well, the caller said, that just passed, and apparently in the... 36 to 48 hours between the time we recorded that particular bit uh, and the time we went on the air, it did indeed. And in fact, George Bush signed the bill the day before yesterday. In an online blog by Heidi N. Moore, it was noted that in America, everyone is equal, but some bailouts are apparently more equal than others. So yeah, the federal government decided that it, a painless and generous $25 billion in bailout loans to the auto industry at below market prices was a great idea. So now, General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler will be able to borrow money at about half the going market rate. This is supposedly to help uh, the automakers and their suppliers build more fuel-efficient vehicles. Hello, folks at GM. Hello, anybody home? Maybe the Hummer wasn't such a good idea. Now, seems like you're convinced that it was. And now, to build other stuff, you got to come to us for a loan? The world's largest auto manufacturer, ladies and gentlemen, needs government-backed loans. That's by you and me, the taxpayer, so it can go ahead and develop fuel-efficient vehicles. Who's minding the store over at Research and Development? Anyway, let's take a short break and talk with Darren W. Miller about his excellent book, Web of Conspiracy, a guide to conspiracy theory sites on the Internet. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax. 